Hi, Mr. Majestic, hey, Mr. Matinee here, back again. I'm really having fun going over these movies of 1989. Uh, as I do this, I'm watching the great movie, The uh, Eraser, which I believe is from 1996. So I'm thinking I might do 1996 or um, uh some other year after a complete 1989. But yeah, we're getting down to it here in 1989. Last episode, we covered The Fly 2. Or, you know, a little while back ago, we covered The Fly 2. I believe that was the last episode. So I just wanted to review. I know one thing I mentioned in the last episode was how I... I didn't like how John Ritter was presented in kind of a more of a seedy light and uh, skin deep. So uh, I still do think that, but I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, I want only wanted my John Ritter one way because, you know, he did do a variety of roles on film. I just kind of wish that that character had a little more. I don't know, redemption or nuance to them, I guess. It seems kind of broad. Um, so we got pretty far into March last time. Next film up is Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Now, I remember being in Pointy Hills and seeing the posters for this movie. And the posters were just so cool looking, I believe. It had the, you know, like the face or the look of uh, Baron Munchausen and maybe images of the boat, images of some of the other characters. Now, I never realized it was, well, I, I did realize, you know, maybe four or five years later. But at the time, I didn't realize that Uma Thurman was indeed uh, like a mer creature or, you know, it's been a while since I've seen it, but. Uh, for those of you who have seen the movie, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. She's that, you know, um, like a siren, some kind of deal. So John Neville's in the film as the title role. Um, not overly familiar with the source material, but it sounds awesome. Sounds like it just became, you know, a derailed train in the production of it. I do remember getting the DVD and watching the special features or learning something about it. Uh, it was very troubled. There's like a fire almost backstage during some of the, you know, there's like theatrical scenes in it. And young Sarah Poli, you know, now a really good director and actress, uh, the Canadian, Canadian actress. Uh, she was, you know, a child actor on the set showing seeing all this kind of craziness, I believe when there was almost a fire there. So honestly, you know, Terry Gilliam always kind of is on the edge of stuff. So uh, this movie gave him his reputation as well as, or, or added to his reputation, I should say, because I think Brazil, Time Bandits, all of them had uh, battles with uh, him and studio and, during this time, he had some canceled film productions as well. Um, 
I I know that it costs maybe forty million and it made six or seven, I think. Oh, here's a cooler poster even. It's a floating John Neville balloon head, like a hot air balloon head and Oh man, yeah, it's a madcap, you know, kind of around the world type um in eighty days. The film is based on tall tales about eighteenth century German nobleman Baron Munchausen and his wartime exploits against the Ottoman Empire. Well, that's something that they probably wouldn't even uh make nowadays with all that. So Robin Williams, uh nice, uh small role in it. Cost yeah forty six point six billion and it made eight point one Jesus Christ so yeah this is a very tough year for uh, Colombia thus far because I had pointed out in the other entries of this series how they had who's Harry Crumb flop and this one flop and so many flops well this one geez losing thirty eight million where they probably thought. Uh, this was not going to do something like that. But anyway, it did get nominated for four Academy Awards. I really never knew that. Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Visual Effects, and Makeup. So I guess it's no surprise when 12 Monkeys or his other films like Fisher King or anything else would get a lot of recognition either. Um, in fact, I'm sure they wanted to kind of reward him for all of his work. Ah, so interesting of a movie. Um, I don't think I saw it on its theatrical release, uh, but definitely seen it uh, a lot more. So David Putnam was British, and he greenlit it, and then he was, uh, you know, fired or whatever. And, you know, all these programs were still going through, and uh, nothing anyone could do about it and the studio didn't support it all that much and all that so anyway enough with that one there's a comic book adaptation a four-part miniseries by now comics would love to see that 20th anniversary edition blu-ray 2008 and dvd i think god i want to re-rent that yeah, three-part documentary on the making of the film. So I highly recommend people check that out. Um, I also recommend they check out the making of 12 Monkeys. That's like a two-hour documentary. And the making of... Oh, one or two other Terry Gilliam movies I've seen that are, you know really elucidate that this guy's really on the... Um, whatever kind of expression you want to use. You know, he's... Uh, incredibly creative filmmaker but um, it could be combative seemingly on the set and all sorts of different things man it seems totally uh, out of control but yet in control it's uh, interesting to see footage oh man of la mancha yeah the making of how he was trying to make um, the movie the man of la mancha that was fascinating and even the part the Failed movie, or you know, well, yeah, it cost a lot of money, made very little. But the one where Heath Ledger died when he was making it, uh, the, uh, something about Dr. Parnassus, um, that had a lot of interesting, if not special features on the DVD, 
a lot of information at the time on the making of that um, really experimental film, to say the least. With, uh, I believe, men playing the lead, what is that, Jude Chloe Farrell, oh gosh, I'll have to look into who played those uh, people in that real quick. Since I brought it up, you know. Um, that's uh, Imaginarium and Dr. Parnassus. And it had Heath Ledger, Johnny Depp, Colin Farrell, and Jude Law. So. <clears throat> my answer's that. Now we go back to the list of 1989 in film. We move on to the next one. Sorry for the delay on that. Jeez. It really dwelt, dwelt upon that subject matter for a while. Uh, anyway, no hurry. Now we'll try to get to the next one, though. Um, there's a lot of scrolling necessary for this project. Okay, so we left off here in March. We're getting down to April here. Here is a Richard Pierce directed Danny Glover, Ruben Blades. Wow, they would be working together a couple years later. Tom Atkins is in it, and Samuel L. Jackson, and Larry Block, called Dead Man Out. Now, Dead Man Out, I don't know why this is listed here, but it's an American crime film. That really probably helped uh, Samuel L. Jackson get you know on the radar a little bit more. Uh, pretty good role for him it looks like plot section is empty on this huh I don't know why that would be empty Dead Man Out tell you a little bit about Dead Man Out psychiatrist is um, something about sent to evaluate yeah. Yeah, one of those kind of movies some kind of killer type deal now, Richard Pierce I'm imagining that these um, movies are listed on here because the directors are super of note. Because, yeah, Richard Pierce had just made No Mercy and maybe Dead Man Out was released theatrical in some, mar some markets. No Mercy, the Kim Basinger, um, Richard Gere film. And he had also made in uh, 1984, Country. Uh, which was, you know, a critically acclaimed Jessica Lang, Sam Shepard, Wilford Brimley film. Yeah, I wanted to say it at first, but I didn't know for sure. But, um, yeah, Lang got nominated for an Oscar and Golden Globe for that one. Do you remember that movie as a child? I think it was talked about a little bit, kind of controversial. Um, but yeah, I mean, Richard Pierce also made uh, a movie with Lane Smith called The Final Days, a TV movie, but then also The Long Walk Home, big movie with um, Sissy Spacek and uh, Whoopi Goldberg in 1990, Leap of Faith, uh, he directed a family thing, kind of an interesting film, uh, maybe I'll review that sometime, and uh my thoughts on that a little bit more. Um, what's this now? Dead Man Out. Yeah, so we'll skip that one, but we delved into that one as well. 
How's everyone doing out there? What are some of your favorite movies of 1989? Be sure to correspond with the show and uh, see, see which ones from 1989 are your favorites and which ones are your least favorite and all that. So, here we are. To Chances Are. Jeez, Columbia TriStar. Jeez. They made a lot of movies and they released a lot of them. I guess they wanted to get rid of their slate right at this time. Um... I think this movie did pretty well. Chances are. I think it made its money back. Oh, barely did. $16 million and it grossed 16.3. So, no, it barely, you know, it wasn't, that didn't work out too well. Uh, my eye. Excuse me, I gotta scratch my eye. Oh, man. Sorry. Uh, something got out of my eye. Civil Shepherd movie. The film was known prior to production as Life Unforgettable. I saw this film in theater, so I'm six or seven years old. I thought it was really a blast. But anyway, um, it was, so, yeah, I like that it was set in Washington, D.C. I just remembered that now. Um, so at the time, I guess Sybil Shepherd was involved in some exhibit for the Smithsonian, and they were filming it there. Made the film during a production hiatus for uh, Moonlighting right at that time. That's not a surprise. Um, 67% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It did not do well at the box office, it says. That's its assessment overall. Huh. I, I didn't know the, the song Chances Are was made for this movie. Huh. By John, I, I just assumed that was a song already. But anyway, that probably should have won that song. That was a pretty good song. But anyway, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know Maurice Jarry did the score. I didn't know that, that song was an original song. I guess you learn something new every day. It's crazy. Well, it definitely deserved to make more than sixteen million. I think it was kind of cute or it, it was a strange concept, hard to describe really. Um, but a really good uh, character cast all around. Uh, Mimi Kennedy from the, the TV show Mom. Uh, she's in the film. And, uh, yeah, Robert Downey here. Steals the fucking movie. He's a great actor. Um, Mr. Masterson, Christopher McDonald, Ryan O'Neill. I think the whole movie is just interesting. I give people a chance to see the movie rather than describe it all that much. Uh, it's a little bit better than uh, um, shows it to be. Anyway, that's another movie that Columbia released. Didn't make that much money, and that came out in late March of 1989. And now we're to the final movie, or final couple movies of 1989, March. And the next one up is a movie called New York Stories. And this movie, New York Stories, whoops, nope, we'll get to New York Stories in a minute. This movie, Jackknife, and this is one of the Cineplex Odeon productions. They produced several movies in this era. I'll tell you what they produced, because I remember looking them up not too long back. Care Bears Adventure and Wonderland, the talk radio adaptation by Oliver Stone, fantastic movie. 
Madame Shashaska, an awards contender as well. Grifters, an awards contender. Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, awards contender. Glass Menagerie, uh, I'd have to look at the cast for that one. Last Temptation of Christ, probably got them in some trouble. Prancer, really underachieved probably. They probably thought that would do a lot better. Uh, Sign of the Times, which is a Prince concert film. Decline of the American Empire, I believe, probably a documentary. But yeah, uh, Decline of the American Empire, what was that? <sighs> the Caribbean movie was pretty fucking kick-ass, but I don't think how much money it made. I don't know how much money it made. I mean, million dollar profit, cost five, made six. Decline of the American Empire was a sex comedy drama with uh, French subtitles and uh, lots of people in it. It made $30 million. So, Cineplex Odeon, I guess they just lost some money on those prestige movies. And what happened to them, really? Yeah, they just had their little run of producing. I believe something happened, but I don't. I this is I don't want to get into it right now. It's hard to prove. I believe that someone involved did something and company off. And anyway, I'll try to break down that studio, and I'll try to break down Gladden Entertainment sometime. And a lot of these, like, uh, mid-budget um, p- production houses of the 80s and 90s and some uh, audio, because I find that stuff to be really entertaining. Obviously, a lot of people have been talking about doing one like that for PM Entertainment and a lot of the other, you know, 90s-type companies. But, uh, you know, Gladden and a couple other ones, like I just mentioned this one, Cineplex Odeon. Uh, cover artisan cover a lot of these ones that you don't hear about anymore but they were you know, a big part of everyone uh, being at video stores and going to, to movies and stuff like that next one up was Jackknife that's why I went all the way back to fight a girl all this information out Robert De Niro, Ed Harris, Kathy Baker Kathy Baker had been in a clean sober so back to back years of good performances but no real like big breakthrough for her still says Charles S. Dutton, that's The Rock, of course, uh, was in a lot of movies during this era in the 80s and 90s. Um, Jessalyn Gilsig, I know that name, yeah. Jessalyn Gilsig, she joined the cast of uh, NYPD Blue late. So she was in, uh, she was in uh, Jackknife. I know a lot of people like Jackknife. They kind of lament, oh, yeah, I didn't get wide release for, uh, you know, as a movie and all that. And I'll just say, it's, you know, it's a slog, real slog to get through. Super serious. Sometimes Ed Harris would really choose these in the 80s, 90s, especially uh, when just starting out. Alamo Bay and this one. And, um,. I, I don't think it really shows him at his best. Uh, so, yeah, that's the the, the American drama um, Jackknife that flopped in a very limited release in uh, 19... 19-
Next one up, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, is New York Stories. And New York Stories was something that doesn't really get attempted too much, except when they made Grindhouse that combined, what, three stories or two stories? Something they would try with four rooms they made with four stories. This is New York stories, and it has three stories. And um, you get the biggest people at the time, you know. You get Woody Allen, Coppola, and Scorsese. They'd all won Best Picture for movies that they had made. Either one or two of their pictures had won multiple awards at multiple Oscar ceremonies. Woody Allen for Annie Hall, Coppola for the Godfather films. Um, and Scorsese at this point hadn't had the same distinctions, but had been involved in Raging Bull, had been involved, in, you know, not been involved, had made Raging Bull, had made Taxi Driver, had made Mean Streets, had basically transfixed uh, the American critical mass and public in some way. Um, now Richard Price did the screen, some of the screenwriting. Sophia Coppola did some of the screenwriting until the, right now. I didn't know that. I know that they had a, an old, or there was a, the, one of the Coppola children had died in an accident not too much longer before the production of this movie. Um, in fact, during the making of the film Gardens of Stone. But uh, Chris Elliott has the small role, Adrian Brody in it, uh, Mike Starr, Larry David. I didn't know that. I guess I should rewatch this and really get to know each story. I know. Yeah, I really can't even tell you the three stories no more. Ileana Douglas is in it, Peter Gabriel, Steve Buscemi, Julie Kavner, Giancarlo Giannini. Woody Allen, Roseanne Arquette, Mary Farrow, I don't think they'd work together now, Nick Nolte. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that you never hear anyone talk about anymore. Um, the three stories, just to surmise them. And we'll maybe wrap up this. I like the poster. I always thought it was intriguing. It showed like a building in New York with, you know, three different people looking out of it in different levels. Um... 15 million and it cost 15 million it cost and it made 10.7. Uh, Oedipus Rex was directed by Woody Allen and it was Oedipus Rex R W R E C K S Oedipus Rex. Life without Zoe is I think the one I usually think of. Um, that's the Coppola one and the Martin Scorsese one is called Life Lessons with Nick Nolte. Life Lessons is about Nick Nolte. Can't He's a painter. He's still infatuated with his former lover. Uh, he becomes jealous of her. Uh, and then... He finds another person similar and has another kind of toxic relationship with the next person. 
sounds like a pretty awful story there. That's Life Lessons, and that is the one that Scorsese directed. Maybe it's kind of biographical. I don't know. Life Without Zoe is the Coppola one. Uh, Zoe is a 12-year-old girl. Um, helps find some uh, valuable jewelry to some rich person. Uh, tries to reconcile a divorced mother. Gets involved with a bunch of stuff basically at the luxury hotel that they're staying at. The Coppola one. Basically, biographical to young Sophia's experience sets of her father's movies or something. Oedipus Rex. None of these sound too good, by the way. New York Liar. Sheldon Mills has problems with his overly critical mother, complains constantly to his therapist. She's set up a box. This one sounds way out there, and it's a Woody Allen one. Uh, so yeah, I don't remember that one as being good at all. <laughs> as I'm hearing, as I reread again, I remember like, oh shit, this one's awful. Um, it's an updated version of Eloise as what the, the other one was. Um, Roger Ebert says one's good, one's bad, one's disappointing. I think he's saying them right in order there. I would say yes. Probably skip it to more of a curiosity. And the American public agreed. (sighs) Only a couple of uh, Woody Allen's movies made a lot of money. Midnight in Paris. Husbands and Wives made some good money in 1992. Looking forward to maybe breaking that movie down in the future. Because that's... I think that's pretty clearly his best movie. But I don't know one would say that now. I don't know. It's hard to really analyze his career now with all the uh, uh, probably necessary muckraking and everything like that. Uh, but yeah, Husbands and Wives, pretty kick-ass performances by everyone. Liam Neeson, Judy Davis, Sidney Pollock, obviously the two leads. Yeah, yeah. It's a real good one. Um, next film up. Is Police Academy Six City Under Siege? I'm very familiar with uh, Police Academy One through Four, and I really want to see Part Five and Part Six. I started watching Part Five once, and it was just really bad. But I want to give it another chance. It says Allison Mack is in it. Wow, that's that uh, the girl from the next game, Colt. Paul Maslansky is even in it. He uh, is the producer of the films. Kenneth Mars, that's pretty cool. Gumby from uh, um, Fletch movies. I gotta get part five and part six. So it pisses me off that I haven't done that yet. But yeah, that movie came out, and uh, I know part five did less than part four. And this one, I didn't even know for sure if it got a wide theatrical release. And it did, and it still made $33 million. Uh, wow. Oh, no. Oh. Um, it made 11 in America, 33 worldwide. That's still pretty fucking good, though. At this point, yeah, I mean, 
Looking forward to discussing 1989 a little bit further. But, uh, yeah, very few movies have made that much money so far on this list. And uh, looking forward to the list a little further as we go. And uh, it's been an interesting year in movies here. So, let's see here. Press my recording. <laughs> 